Since 1999, Professor Angela Sass has researched and promoted the concept of having security that works with and for users and their organizations. She accomplishes this by appealing to the bottom line. Her hallmark paper, Users Are Not the Enemy, argues that security frameworks designed with the users are dangerous approach creates barriers that users must overcome in order to do their jobs, which makes it a resource-intensive administrative burden for their organization. For her exceptional work in 2015, Professor Angela Sass was awarded the Fellowship of the Royal Academy of Engineering as being one of the best and brightest engineers and technologists in the UK. I think what you're doing is it's multi-layered, multifaceted, and you're targeting two very different fields where you're trying to think about how to design innovative technologies that are functional while driving the bottom line. So that's B2B. And then also improve the well-being of individuals in society, and that's B2C. And the strategies of those two things are very different. So maybe to just peel the layers back to start from the beginning, your research focuses on human usability of security and perhaps privacy too. Maybe it might be helpful to define what usability encompasses. Okay. So usability, there is a traditional definition. There is a, you know, an international standards organization definition of it. And it says usability is if a specified user group can use the mechanism to achieve their goals mm-hmm. in a specified context of use. <laughs> and that actually makes it really quite, quite complex, you know, because what, what it's really saying is there isn't a sort of like a hardline measure of what's usable and what isn't. Mm-hmm. It's about the fit, how well it fits the person that's using it and the purpose they're using it for in the situation that they're using it. Usability is more about the user, the human, and not necessarily the technology. It's, after all, just a tool. And we have to figure out a way to fit usability into the technology we're using. Yes, of course. And what it amounts to is that, of course, it's it's not economic. It wouldn't be economically possible to get a perfect fit for 120 different types of interactions and situations that you do. What we generally do is we use four or five different forms of interaction, you know, that work well enough across the whole range of interactions that we do sort of locally optimal and globally optimal. So you could make a super good fit for, for lots of different situations. But if you, you don't want to, to, to know about 120 different ways of doing something, so globally optimal is to have, have a limited set of interactions and symbols and things that you, you're dealing with when you're, when you're working with, with technology. So security, however, 
One of the things that a lot of people overlook when it comes to security and usability is that from the user's point of view, security is always sort of like it's what, what the usability people call a secondary task or enabling task. So this is a task I have to do to get to the thing I really want to do. And so the kind of kind of, you know, tolerance or acceptance that people have for delays or difficulty is even less than with their sort of primary interactions. It's like a chore. For instance, an example would be I need to download an app, perhaps in order to register for something. Yeah. And so you, what, what you want to do is, you know, you want to use the app for a particular purpose. And then if you basically have, if the user perceives that in order to be able to use the app, you know, all the stuff you have to do to get to that point, it's too much of a hurdle, then most of them would just turn around and say, oh, it's not worth it. I'm not going ahead. When it comes to the security aspect, how does a CISO or an IT security admin decide that users are dangerous and that if they only had the same knowledge that I have, that they would behave differently. Where does downloading the app or using a website intersect with the jobs of what a CISO does? CISO is trying to to manage the risks and some of the risks might affect the individual employee or the individual customer as well. But other risks are really risks to the organization and wouldn't, if, if something went wrong, it wouldn't directly affect the employee or the customer. But I think what a CISO or a sysadmin, I, I always say to them is you've got to understand what you are asking the user to do. You know, you have to accept that you're a security specialist and you are focused on delivering security, but you are the only person in the organization for whom security is a primary task. For everybody else, it's a secondary task. It's it's a hurdle they have to jump over in order to do what they've been trained for, what they are good at, what they are paid to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's in your best interest to make that hurdle as small as possible. Yes, you should effectively manage the risk, but you've got to find ways of doing it that you know, really bothers, you know, where you're really taking as little time and effort away from from the people who have to do it. Because otherwise you end up eating all the profits. Right? The more <laughs> the more effort you're basically taking away from the main activity that people do, the more you're reducing the profits of the organization. You've done the research and you're presenting them and you're interacting with CISOs and sysadmins and how has the mindset evolved and also some of the pushback. Can you provide some examples? Early on, a lot of the pushback was really, well, people should do what they're told. And the the other main pushback is, oh, um, so this you're, you're telling me this is difficult or effortful to do for, for people. Can we give them some training? Would that, do, you know, so the first, the, the, the real pushback is that they, they don't want to think about changing, making changes to the technology and to the way they're managing the risks. So their first thought is always, how can I make people do what I want them to do? 
And so the very first big study that Anne Adams and I did, and we then subsequently, is published in the paper, Users Are Not the Enemy. And so this was with a very big telecommunications company. And when we said to them, look, you know, you've got this, these, your staff have between 16 and 64 different passwords, six-digit pins, you know, eight-character passwords, complex, and you're telling them they have to have a different one, they can't write it down, and they were also expiring them every 30 days. So they had to change them every 30 days. And basically, I, sh- I said, nobody can do this. Then they said, okay, could they do it if we gave them some extra training? <laughs> and mm-hmm. my response was, Yes, and that would look like this. All your employees have to go on a one-year course to become memory athletes, <laughs> right? But and even when they come back, they're going to spend at least half an hour a day doing the memory techniques that you need to do in order to be able to recall all this stuff, right? And if you think about it that way, it's just absurd. I mean, it's absurd that rather than making changes to the password policy or providing an easier-to-use authentication mechanism, you do that. And, and sometimes you equally, what's equally ridiculous is like, so like, oh, can you give me a, um, a, a psychological, a psychology test so I can screen out the people who are not compliant, you know, so I can recruit people who are naturally compliant, That's bizarre. You need to recruit people who are good at the jobs that your business relies on, right? Right. Good at the stuff your business delivers. If you just recruit compliant and risk-averse people, you're going to go bust. <laughs> that is, you know, so so you sometimes have to sort of really show the absurdity of of the natural thinking that there is, you know, that there's this initial resistance to go like, I don't really want to change the way how I think about security and I don't want to change the mechanisms I use. I think a lot of the CISOs and the sysadmins are restricted to by the tools and software and they feel like they're confined and have to work within a framework because their job is very technical. It's always about, are you able to secure my network first over the human aspect of it? And I, I really like what you said about how phishing scam attackers understand more of the human element of security than security designers have. Can you elaborate more on that? I think so. So I'm working with some of the government here in the UK with those government agencies that are responsible for security and Mm -hmm. for advising companies about security. And I think it's very interesting to see that they have concluded that CISOs need and and security practitioners that they need to develop their soft skills and that they need to engage, they need to learn to listen more and they need to also learn how to, once they have listened, you know, and understand how they can provide a fit, then how they can persuade people of the need for change, you know, because because part of the whole problem is if you if you reconfigure the mechanisms and they're now easier to use without people still need to change their behavior, they still need to move on from existing habit to the new ones. Mm-hmm. And that can be sort of like an, a bit of a, a blocker for change. And you need to 
persuade people to embark on this journey of changing their existing habits. And for that, you need soft skills and you need to persuade them that I have now made it as easy as possible to use. Now your part, your responsibility is to change your existing habit towards this new secure one, you know, which is feasible to do and it's not particularly onerous, but you need to work through that process of changing, learning a new habit. How long do they want it to be? How long does it actually take and how has their mindset evolved? Most of them now realize, you know, that their role really is to be a cheerleader for mm -hmm. security. Mm -hmm. Not, you know, the, the kind of the old school that there are some sort of like gatekeeper, you know, who can mm -hmm. <laughs> stop everybody. So most of them now do realize. When did that happen? I think it's happened. In, it's only very recent. It's for the for the majority of of them. It happened in the last maybe last four or five years. I think some I still haven't gotten there, <laughs> but quite quite a few of them. And you know, I've I've seen some very. I mean, if I go to Infosec, for instance, you meet people there who've really done a very good job. And I think actually, say if you, for instance, look at the Born Digital companies. I think they generally do, they do very well. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at Google, Amazon, Facebook, eBay, they generally work very hard to secure their mm -hmm. business without, you know, and, and they know that it's a threat, it would be a threat to their business if people couldn't use the security or found the security to cumbersome. And I think they've actually done a good job, a pretty good job to look at how, how you can make it easier to use. So I think those companies are currently sort of really leading the charge. But I've seen it happen in a couple of other. So, so I think basically other companies that have very big customer bases, you know, sort of the experiences that they get with that, that they realize they have to make it easier for their customers to access services or use devices. Those lessons then also tend to filter through to how they're designing security for their own employees. So, you know, if you look at mobile phone companies and the television companies, for, you know, the cable and satellite TV companies, I think they've really internalized this and the people working there really have quite a modern outlook. I think next coming round the, the corner is the big software and technology development companies. They have started to, so companies like Microsoft have started to realize this as well. <laughs>